wanted to uh, receive our offering and uh, just thank you. Um, another eight brand new givers this last week, which puts in the last four weeks over 50 new givers as a part of what's going on at Jubilee. So I want to say thank you for that. Appreciate your faithfulness. Appreciate you for hearing um, what we've been asking for. And uh, for those who are new for joining in, for those who are regular for your faithfulness altogether, um, just very excited how God's answered that and just want to commend you and encourage you to keep that up. Um, just believe that uh, the Lord has so much more for us than even having to um, report every week on new. That should just be a regular thing, right? Yeah. And just an ongoing thing. So let's, let's pray and we'll thank the Lord. Father, we bless you and thank you for the opportunity to be here with other people who love you. God, um, as a part of our worship, it's not just singing. It's not just uh, the word. But Lord, it's also in how we treat what you've given us, Father God. And Lord, with the resource that we have, we always want to be good stewards with it. So we ask your blessing on it, Father God. As Terry mentioned, Lord, for those who, who Lord, hear me talk about giving and think, Pastor, I wish I could. Um, if there's an opportunity for you to learn more um, and to, to further that in the Lord, I would, think, um, I would think being a part of financial peace might be that. Uh, if you're in a position where you're just right now, as the Lord said, try me in this, man, I pray God's blessing in a brand new way in your life, that you'll find just a, a multiplication there like you never knew. But all in all, Lord, we just thank you uh, for what you're doing, God. You're faithful and you're good. And Lord, I just thank you for a church that has generosity in it. I thank you, Lord, you can use our church in so many different ways. God, we're excited about what you're doing. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can give online. Uh, you can give through the app, and you can give in person at the offering boxes. Okay. Um, we are trying to, um, I, like, can you tell already I'm struggling with what I want to, yeah. Um, okay. I, I don't normally feel um, a lack or nervous when I come to speak. Not because there's a, um, an arrogance with it or a cockiness to it. I, some of it's comfort. I've been the pastor. We started the church 25 years ago, so there's a comfort in, I've done this a lot, right? And there's a comfort that comes with that. But right now, like I said last week, we're not moving forward into a series yet. We're sort of waiting on the Lord, and I'm just talking about some things that have been in my heart. There's a book that I've been reading that um, has really ministered to me lately. So I'm going um, to recommend the book here in a second, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what the Lord is doing inside of this book because I feel like it fits where our world is today. Um, and so it's a little bit intense in the first part, but the, the answer to it, I think, is revival, to be honest with you. So that's the nature of the message. So when you're listening to it right now, if it sounds like, man, Pastor, is there a lot of hope? Yes, there's total hope. Get all the way through the message before you judge um, Judge about it. So, uh, you familiar with the author Jonathan Kahn at all? It's messianic, uh, Jewish rabbi, loves Jesus, very prophetic. Uh, probably his most famous book is The Harbinger. If you read that, he wrote that probably five years ago or so. New York Times bestseller, excellent book. Uh, his latest and greatest is called The Return of the Gods. The Return of the Gods. I remember in the 70s, um, when it was first becoming really, really popular about UFOs, they had one called the Chariots of the Gods. Anybody old enough to remember? A few, seven people remember that one right there. Yeah, I won't regale you with tales of, of that. The Return of the Gods 
Uh, here's the premise. I'll read the scripture to you and then take you into where I feel like the Lord is moving today. Uh, Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is having another confrontation um, with the Pharisees, and they are arguing with him. They actually, in a bold way, come up and say, give us a sign. Do a miracle. Do something to prove to us again that you are the Christ, right? And you remember, Jesus often, when he was asked for a sign, would come back with maybe not the most popular. He would say, uh, it's a wicked and an evil generation that needs a sign. Or the only sign that will be given a wicked and an evil generation is such and such. In this particular case, when they ask him for a sign, he begins to teach a little bit. And then in the middle of the teaching, he gives them this parable, which we use for spiritual warfare, but we leave out the last sentence. And I'll be honest with you, when I read this, I realized I have done this. And I don't think it's a misappropriation of the scripture. Jake, I think you'll, you'll get a kick out of this because it really does get into the idea of paying attention to the context of this, really important. But here, here's the scripture. Um, so Jesus is asked, give us a sign. It's the Pharisees. He begins to teach, and then he gives them this, this parable, this story. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then the spirit says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Right? Interesting interesting scripture. Uh, literally, he's talking about a person that the enemy has possessed and how the kingdom of God can push that possession out. And it sweeps the house clean. But he's given the analogy that unless the house is reinforced, right? The rest of the story. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. Look at this part. And the last state of that man is worse than the first state. You heard that scripture before. And so we've taught it and used it uh, in this idea that when we are doing spiritual warfare and we're pushing the enemy out, right, that God's power is enough that the name of Jesus, the enemy has to surrender to the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Even in uh, confrontation, when Jesus would come into the vicinity of a person who was being just overtaken spiritually, many times the demonic, before Jesus even said anything, they would scream at him, what are you doing here? Why are you bothering us? It's not yet our time. You remember those conversations? And Jesus would always tell him, be quiet, cast them out. Uh, in this particular case, I don't think we're misappropriating it that when we pray for people, what we're saying is we, we are pushing out the demonic and the Holy Spirit is going to sweep the inside clean. But unless you reinforce it, the enemy is looking for the opportunity to come. Is that what it says right there? And not just itself, but it'll bring seven worse. And the end condition of the person is going to be worse than the beginning. So that when we're doing spiritual warfare, we don't want to just casually cast something out and say, the Lord rebuke you. We also want to make sure that the Holy Spirit fills the void in there. Does that make sense? So when you're praying, even for your family, don't just do spiritual warfare, confront the enemy, and then walk away. You're praying, now Holy Spirit, fill this place. You want discipleship to come in and to train someone so that they don't open themselves back up to what caused that thing to come into their life in the first place. Makes sense? Okay, so the application that we have normally is sort of a one-on-one -on -one type of an event. But Jesus, remember, is being asked, give us a sign. 
He begins to preach, then he gives them this parable, and what we leave out, uh, you're going to have to go back to that scripture, fellas. Um, We leave out the last sentence. I want to read it again and then include the last sentence. So then he goes, takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first, and then this sentence is what gets left out. So shall it be with this wicked generation. We never, ever... Talk about that. And in context, what is he saying? And he's actually speaking to the Pharisees, remember, who asked for a sign. He says, it's a wicked and perverse generation that needs one. Preaches, then gives this analogy and says, so shall it be with this end time generation. So that what will be with the end time generation? It's as though Jesus came to undo the works of the enemy and that as long as they're reinforced then that, let's use it on a bigger scale. Instead of a person, could it be talking about a nation? So could it be saying that literally Christ came to tear down the works of the enemy? Just think about it just for a moment. And that his work on the cross did, we even sang about that in the last song, what his work accomplished. And that if it's reinforced, then the kingdom of God goes forward But if not reinforced, then seven worse than itself move back into it. And the worst or the end condition of that nation Mm -hmm. is worse than the pre of that nation. Does that make any sense? So I never thought about it in that context before. That's what he was writing the book about, comparing it to the state of America today and where America has come from. Just talking about the great... So there was a scripture, um, Lot in his day, said that his spirit was vexed every day with the wickedness of even the conversations that just went on day by day by day. And I'll just say this to you real quickly. If you live in this generation and you are a believer, have you not seen it get worse rather than better? And do you ever just ask how, I mean, what, what has happened? So I've thrown out to you the idea that, uh, so let me do it like this. I, I wrote this down. Maybe it's an easier way to say it uh, this way. A post-Christian civilization uh, would be far worse, far darker than a pre-Christian civilization if they opened the door and let the enemy back in. So get this idea. A pre-Christian nation could produce a Caligula or a Nero, but a post-Christian generation could produce a Hitler. Because the end is worse than the beginning of it. Uh, So how about this right here? A pre-Christian nation could erect an altar of human sacrifice, but a post-Christian nation could build an Auschwitz. Think about it for a moment. So I'm reading this and just uh, looking at like what's going, so part of me is very excited to see what I'm seeing going on in the church like Asbury. It's like thrilled with that. There's hope. And then part of me looks on a day-to-day, I have trouble even watching the news anymore because it vexes me. Is that an old-fashioned word or what? So you're like, what does it mean to be vexed? Uh, consternation. There's another good one right there. To be twisted. To be confused. To think, what has happened? I mean, the world that Christ came into, interesting, right? Um, 
If you think in terms of how America was founded, I don't know if you realize this, America was patterned, the founding fathers patterned it on the nation of Israel. And in fact, much of what America was commended to, that as long as you serve God, you'll prosper. But if you don't serve God, you won't. It'll actually end up being worse for you. And that's exactly what was told Israel. As long as you serve God, you'll go forward and prosper. But if you don't, you'll end up in slavery. You'll end up as a divided nation. You'll end up with all sorts of issues that are going on. Uh, in the Old Testament, when they talked about worshiping the idols, there was always one that was mentioned through the Baals, B-A-A-L. Heard of that one? Okay, um, so here's my premise of where I want to try to go. Even though we don't use the word Baal today, you realize they were worshiping not idols in and of themselves, but they're worshiping spirits behind the idols, the demonic. And so in the Old Testament, the word Shedim, S-E-A-S-H-E-D-I-M, um, is translated into daimonium, which is demon. So let me read you a scripture. This is Deuteronomy 32, 17. This is Israel, and this is God talking to Israel about something that, um, that they fall into, right? They, they are God's special people. He has built in them, come away, follow me. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I will bless you. I will make you great. And Israel, when they would get, when they would open the door and allow other gods to come in. So here's, here's the scripture that talks about this. Deuteronomy 32, 17. They sacrificed to what? Demons. Not to God, to the gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. So the Lord begins to tell them even in the Old Testament, you're not sacrificing to these idols, to stone and to wood and to, uh, to things made of gold or whatever. You're actually sacrificing to demons. You're worshiping demons. That's the world that Jesus comes into, a world that was pagan fully. Everyone worshiped all of these false idols, these false gods, many different names. Jesus comes into that world, and think about this, in a way what he did was to dispossess the world. He began working at that time to tear down the works of the devil, and wherever he went, people that put their faith and trust in him would turn from idols, turn towards the Lord, and Western civilization, for the most part, was because of the work of Christ. 2,000 years ago. I was reading um, when I was in Egypt and talked about that a couple of, uh, uh, when I was there a little more than a month ago and talked about it last week, um, that Constantine was the emperor that uh, the Lord used to legalize Christianity. Up until then, Christianity was illegal and the more illegal it was, the more it spread, the more power it became. Um, the way that they would try to get people to deny Christ would be to sacrifice to one of these demons, to one of their gods, and believers wouldn't do it. Many times it would cost them their lives. And because of their faithfulness and because of the power of Jesus, it stripped the known world at that time of their gods, and the God that we serve became the legal God. That's what happened in, in Rome and throughout the world. And right after Constantine was an emperor. I did not know this, but in the year 362, listen to this. Uh, the pagan Roman emperor known as Julian the Apostate. There's a name, Julian the Apostate. 
attempted to restore the oracle's temple to its former glory. The oracle, if you don't know, um, the oracle was how the pagan Roman world would go get a prophecy. They'd go, they'd sacrifice to the demonic, and there would be a person uh, who would, through the power of a demon, speak a prophecy to the people. And after Jesus came and really dispossessed and got rid of all of these gods, the people turned their back and turned towards God, there was a pagan Roman emperor that came and tried to reestablish it. So this Julian the Apostate attempted to restore the oracle's temple to its former glory. He sent a representative to consult the oracle. She sent back a word that would become known as her last pronouncement. Listen to this. It is recorded that she said this. Tell the emperor that my hall has fallen to the ground, that Phoebus, the god of Apollo, no longer has his house, nor is his mantic bay, nor his prophetic spring available. The water has dried up. And what that meant simply was these gods that they had sacrificed, no longer do they have any of their power. But when, whenever the world would open the door and turn away from God, the battle for repossession would take place. Look at Judges 2.10 here, real quick. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things God had done for Israel. Do we not live in a generation that has come up that doesn't know what our God has done or acknowledge that he is God and so quickly our nation has turned its back and the God that you and I are here to serve most of America today. It's not a post, it's even past post. It's like they never knew to begin with. And we live in a day where it's so far from what it was. So um, here's, Here's where I want to try to take you real quick into this and see if I can, see if I can do it. Um, I want to talk about the return of Baal. No, not Baal, B-A-A-L, but Baal, the spirit that's behind it. So Baal um, literally means the possessor. In Judges 2, 11 through 14, gives us a little bit of a design of what this, this Baal is. So watch this real quick. Uh, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the image of who? They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of the Ashtoreth. This made the Lord burn with anger against Israel, so he handed Israel over to raiders who stole their possessions, the things that they had built. He turned them over to their enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist them. Baal was the god of apostasy. His mission literally was to take a nation that had been consecrated to God and turn it away from God. Um, a great example of this is when Israel went into captivity uh, to Babylon. Babylon worshipped the Baals. And so the very first thing, you've got the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the very first thing that happens to these four Israelites is that they change their names. Daniel's name meant, Dan DeMay, a few weeks ago, I taught this in the past too, but Dan said his name, does anybody remember when Dan taught, what does Dan, Daniel mean? Well done. Wow. I thought you were going to go, did, was Dan DeMay here? Uh, <laughs> 
Daniel means God is my judge. And what Dan said, he said that in English, we say Dan or Daniel, and all we hear is the name. But in Hebrew, it's a little sentence. And so children were carefully named after what their parents hoped would be their destiny, their purpose. And today we casually name children all sorts of things. They would carefully pray and think about why has God put this child in the world? What's this child's destiny? And then would come up with a name that represented the destiny of the child so that every time you spoke the name, you're actually speaking destiny over the life of the child. Does that make any sense? So the word Daniel means God is my judge, but you can't think judge like a gavel and robes and sitting in a courtroom. The judges of Israel protected the nation of Israel. Samson was a judge. Samson would watch as, as backslidden as Samson got under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Samson took a bone. Yeah. Of a, I was trying to think of a better way to say Jackass, there, okay. Uh, donkey, that's, what, that's the word I want, donkey. Why didn't you say that quicker? You did, I, I couldn't remember donkey. Um, you dumb donkey. Um, so he took the bone of a, of a jackass, the Bible says that, okay? Um, and he actually defeated literally thousands of people in order to protect Israel. So we think of him, you know, Sunday school classes always showed Samson as like he was a, a big he-man. You know, he always had muscles. He didn't have any muscles. The anointing would come. Well, I'm sure he had some muscles. All right. I, don't, I actually don't know what he looked like, to be honest with you. I wasn't there. But I don't think he was Arnold Schwarzenegger. So the Bible says that the Holy Spirit would come upon him, and when the Holy Spirit would come upon him, he would perform miraculous feats of strength. So we always portray him as like... He was, you know, a, a super weightlifter, but that wasn't it. The anointing would come on him, and under the anointing, he would protect the nation of Israel. So what they wanted Daniel to always know is that God is your protector. God is the one who watches over your life. God is the one who is for you. God is the one who is keeping you. So you and I just hear the word Daniel, but he would literally hear a little Hebrew sentence that would remind him every time they called his name, God is your protector. God is the one who watches over your life. All right, Israel turned their back on God, served other gods. God warned them over and over again, if you don't stop this, you're going to go into captivity. They ended up in captivity. We have the story of these four Hebrews. The very first part of Daniel chapter 1, these four Hebrews are taken into captivity, and rather than kill them, they decide to try to expand the kingdom by teaching them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, the Chaldeans is what it says. That, that's called assimilation. Yep. Yes. Look at me real quick. Many of you are paying $50,000 a year so that your children are assimilated oh. into another nation. Listen carefully to me. I did too. Everything is designed to change who you say they are and who you said that God says they are and what you believe about God, it's to give another alternative and false view. Yes. Is it powerful? We live in a day where a generation has grown up that does not know of the Lord. One of the things we hear complaints about is that young people are leaving the church left and right. So I don't think they're leaving every church. 
But I think they're leaving mainline churches that offer nothing more than religious practice. There needs to be power. There needs to be something more than just, hey, here's a Bible story for you. Does that make any, any sense? Okay. So they take Daniel and his three buddies, and the very first thing that they do is change their names. And why? Because to Hebrews and to the people of that day, the name represented the nature and the character of the person. So to the very first thing they do to Daniel, Daniel's name means God is your protector. They change his name to Baal to Shazar. Baal. And it means literally translated, Baal is your protector. So why are they doing that? Because they want to take everything that he's been taught and everything that has been told him about who God is, and they want to not simply erase it, they want to replace it with another identity completely. Is it powerful? Babylon was the greatest nation on the face of the earth at that time because Israel lost its purpose. And so if America, in many ways, designed like Israel, God had called it into existence. I know there's so much criticism. It is not a perfect country. But in my mind, this is a God-blessed country, man. I love this country. It's an experiment in liberty that is such a, a blip in history. It's not normal. It's not the way it is generally. Most of the time, nations enslave other nations. They practice idolatry. America was designed in particular to be different than that. And for its mistakes, yes, but far more to its blessing and what it's been to many other nations in the world. So it was designed like Israel in that its purpose and its destiny was to be a godly nation, not a theocracy. America was never supposed to be a theocracy but a nation that was founded on the principles of God. If you don't believe that, go to Washington, D.C., look at every one of our monuments. Every one of them has an inscription that's dedicated to God, although you'll never find that on the TV, in print, or anywhere that you would know that's why they exist today. But you can still find it. It's still there. And just like Israel, when that nation would turn away from God, Israel would end up in terrible places, even though God called them. And I think America today finds itself further and further away. And those of us who know the difference look and think, how could it change so fast in such a quick time? Here's my question. How would Baal return to America? Well, what would cause the door to be open so that if Jesus said, When you cast the spirit out, it goes into dry places and it roams around and then it goes back to see if it can get back in the house. Finding it swept clean, it gets seven spirits worse than it is, moves in and the end condition is worse than the precondition. Right? So how would America open itself up so that it was worse than before and that the end condition could be seven times worse. I, let, me, <laughs> let me read this to you. Um, this is called the once in other America. Mid-20th century, most Western nations were still viewed as Christian or Judeo-Christian. 
America was decidedly sto. So it stood in clear opposition to Marxist ideology. Let's say that one more time. It stood in clear opposition to Marxist ideology, to the atheism of Soviet Russia and communist China. Even liberal newspapers would publish summations of sermons preached throughout the city the previous Sunday. The Denver Post used to do that. Can you imagine a summation of the messages preached last weekend? It doesn't even sound like... Leading magazines would advocate for Christian morality and Christian revival. Entertainment was expected to uphold biblical values, never attack them. The political right and left saw themselves as as sincere followers of Jesus or God. America in the mid-20th century was a nation which children were not allowed only to pray in public schools, but were led in prayer by their teachers. We literally declared ourselves as one nation under God. I grew up in that nation. I grew up with my teacher who prayed before the start of class in homeroom. We stood and did the Pledge of Allegiance and declared ourselves one nation under God. Yes or no? It was a normal thing. And I look around and I see young people who are not shaking their head because they have no idea, including my children. We're not grown up in that, not taught in that. My question is then, how how could a spirit, um, (laughs) a spirit that uh, repossesses, um, how could that thing take back over in our nation? Well, Jesus said, When it's cast out, it goes into dry places. It looks to come back in. If it finds it swept clean and nothing filling that void, then it finds seven worse than itself. All right, so let's do this, do this. Um, Terry, you're doing a thing tomorrow that starts for those 60 years and over. 60 years ago, literally, we made prayer illegal in school. We made the word illegal. In 1980, we struck down the Ten Commandments from the public square. Yes or no? Morality at one time was a given, and I'm not saying that everybody in the world in America acted Christian. I know underneath there were not people who did that. But overall, the morality of the nation was you didn't do it in public. It was not what we presented. It was not what we were doing. How in the world... Has it in 60 years gone from that to where we are today? Not only morality, but it's gone so far that that even those who stood for are confused by what's happened today. Here's my question. Um, I say this from time to time, and I take a little heat from it. Because I think people think I'm being cocky about it. or the, Let me ask you the question. Based on what I just said, do we have a political problem or a spiritual problem in our nation? Spiritual. Now, be honest about that. If you disagree with me, I get it. I get email on that every time I say it. Someone's like, you're keeping people from voting. You're keeping people from making a stand in the public square. That's not what I'm doing. If we have a political problem, then we need a political answer. But if we have a spiritual problem, then we need a a spiritual answer. 
Okay, so let me be as plain <laughs> as I know how to be. The answer determines the action. And if we have a spiritual problem, then the only hope for America is not the next election and it's not better moral laws. It's not figuring out even right and wrong. The only hope for this nation and the only hope for the church is that God would come and revive us. Because the only thing that helped Israel out of it is when they would turn their hearts back to God. And God would be merciful and then it would push the enemy back out, and then it could reestablish. I think laws follow the Lord. I don't think the Lord follows the laws. Does that, do you get what I'm... So like if we get the right laws in, that would bring the right thing in America. I disagree. The right heart in America would bring the right laws in America. But you wouldn't have to fight about the laws because it would be a heart issue, not a legal issue. All right. So I know in many ways I preach to the choir with this, but I'm actually trying to set up. Um, let me read this to you. This is 2 Kings 13, verses 20 and 21. It's this obscure story that happens in 2 Kings to one of the great prophets named Elisha. Elisha, you remember, was the protege of Elijah. Elisha said to Elijah, hey, would you anoint me? Would you make me your successor? Elijah said, it's really not for me to choose, but here's the deal. Uh, when I'm taken, if you're kind of there, if you can see it, if you catch the cloak, the mantle, we'll see what happens. And Elijah becomes literally unbelievable prophet. But Elijah's story, Elisha's story, um, when it ends, there's just not much told about it until you find this little obscure story. So I was telling the staff about this the other day. I was just reading this. Uh, then Elisha died and was buried. There's the whole end of his life right there. This powerful prophet comes down literally to six words in a sentence. Then Elisha died and was buried. Groups of Moabite raiders used to invade the land each spring. Once, when some of the Israelites were burying a man, they spied a band of these raiders. So they hastily threw the corpse into the tomb of Elisha and fled. Look at this. As soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. Can you imagine? What a story that would so they literally, a band of raiders is coming in. They fear for their lives. So they throw the corpse into the tomb. Remember, they buried them in tombs, not in graves. And they did it hastily so that they could run away. And when they threw him in, apparently the dead man's body landed on the bones of Elisha. And when it touched the bones, the anointing on Elisha revived the man and he jumped to his feet. And the only way... That the, remember, they all ran away. The only way they would know it happened right. is that the guy that came back to life must have come and found them. Hey, yes. I've got a weird story to tell you. I was reading that story right when 
Asbury was happening and just, man, I've been praying and talking about revival in our church, not just in Jubilee. And the problem with it is so many people have so many ideas of what that would be like. Some welcome it, some are afraid of it, some don't even have a definition for it because they've never experienced it. Let me just try to do what I think. I think that there's something to the past that we need to touch. I think there's something to an anointing that's missing in the church today that has to do with power and it has to do with a representation of what used to be. And that's not to say that I don't think we have a great church. I do think we have a great church. I think God moves in this church. Chris and I went to pray for a guy, a man who was in a car accident. It broke his neck, was in a coma. They didn't expect him to wake up. We went and prayed just a week ago and the man woke up. And he winked at his daughter. Woke up and winked at his daughter. I, I, I believe God is moving today in a, in a powerful... I really do believe. So I don't think there's something wrong with our church. But I think there's more that we don't know. And that we live in a day where around us, inside of here, it's good and it's protected. But I don't know how much influence is happening outside of here. And what I think revival ultimately is, is that when God can touch his church again, so that we're not trying to get things to change out there, but it changes in here. That our passion for God becomes so strong that it overtakes business as usual. And we're not just paying attention like, okay, so how many songs did they sing? And did the message hit the mark? And uh, what happened with the offering this week? And uh, what are all the activities going on? I think it's something that when we touch it, it revives us in a way. We didn't even know we were dead and it brings something back to life. Does that? I'm talking about something that I'm having to come back from something I've never gone to either. Does that? It's confusing. There's a missing element that has to do more with what our history is and what our heritage is and that we live today like we're excited about where we are because we compare it to someone else, but I don't think it comes close to what the Lord actually thinks it could look like. And like if you're not familiar when I talk about Asbury, Asbury is a little college in Wilmore, Kentucky. Chris and I lived 15 minutes from it when we lived in Lexington. It's a Methodist college. They have a seminary there, but it wasn't in the seminary that they experienced revival. It was in the college, a liberal arts college, Christian, but they experienced revival. And all that simply happened is students were worshiping and they didn't want it to stop. And it didn't. And God began to pour out. And what I loved about it is they didn't commercialize it. They didn't try to market it or merchandise it or sell. Here's some water from the revival. No. <laughs> yes or no? I mean, tell me that's not the church in 2023. How do we market it? How do we, how do we merchant? How do we make money off of this move of God? And so they chose instead to keep the outside, like Tucker Carlson wanted to do a big thing on it, and they told him no. Because we're afraid if you do that, it's just going to cause a bunch of people to come and want to look at it and gawk at it and see it. And we don't think that's what's supposed to happen. 
We think it's supposed to just be a move of God that's protected and kept like that. I admired that. You know what? I admired it because it happened amongst a group of people (laughs) that weren't... You couldn't look at the leadership of it and go, well, you know, they're a little tainted. They're nobodies. It's a bunch of students who wanted God. I don't know how you make that happen. But I know I'm like not moving on in trying to do the thing that I'm comfortable with in a series of messages where I feel strong and where I feel confident. I'm trying to put myself out there a little bit right now, teach about something that I'm not 100% sure how you get there. Because I'm looking to see if I can tap into some kind of hunger in our church that maybe God could move in that could revive us in a way where... No, I know, I know. I I know you're with me. It's not that I'm... I think we think in terms of like, okay, um, it would look this way or it would be that way. You know, here's what I'm actually praying. Lord, I don't know, but I'd like a chance to just figure it out. You know, I know it would have to be pastored well. I know we'd have to figure out how to, how to lead it. I know we have a church that comes from so many different backgrounds. I know some of you go, well, that didn't happen in my Baptist church when I was growing up. I get it. Thank God for your Baptist church because it got you here. Literally, it got you here. Thank God if you were part of a Methodist church because your history... <laughs> is a man named John Wesley who literally was like an Elisha. That the best thing that could happen to the Methodist church is to go back and touch the bones of John Wesley and revive. Or maybe you were a Lutheran and you said, well, that's not how we did it in the Lutheran church, but if you knew who Martin Luther was and what a radical fire breather he was, full of the Holy Spirit, who in his generation stood up and broadsided the Catholic Church and said, no more. We don't sell the anointing and we don't sell salvation. That sounds so great today, but the price he paid, oh my goodness, for God to revive his church again in our generation so that it spread so rapidly that it actually could change what was happening in society around us. Um, I asked the worship team if they'll come and sing God of Revival to end our service today. So I want you to know, I, I just, I won't manipulate anything and I won't manufacture anything. It's not who I am. It's not how I can lead. It has to be authentic or it can't be anything at all. Yeah. It's just who I am. But I felt like that maybe if we just rearrange to give God a little more time, mm-hmm. that he can do more things. Yeah. Right. And instead of being uncomfortable, I've been telling you, get the wineskin ready. Yeah. Have you been hearing me? Yeah. 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 Have you been listening to me? 
This is a part where you have to trust me as pastor. My job is to lead you spiritually, which sometimes means we have to go places we've not been before. But do you trust me enough that I would pastor in this? And I'm not, again, I don't want to manipulate anything. or I just want us to let the Lord have a little more time. And that if he wants to move in people's lives, we should be open to that. Hmm. Uh, Acts 19, when Paul <laughs> was ministering in such a powerful way, they said they could bring even handkerchiefs from him and it would heal people. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, it's a powerful anointing that was on the Apostle Paul. And that's when it teaches that the seven sons of Skia, the, the Jewish, the, the itinerant Jewish exorcist, they tried to cast out demons trying to make money by it, and they come across a demon that's stronger than they are. And the Bible says it leapt on them, beat them up, yes. sent them out of the house bleeding and naked. That's, right. that's not good spiritual warfare, right? That's, <laughs> that's bad spiritual warfare. But it says that a respect for God gripped the city and that people who were delving into witchcraft and idolatry brought their magic books and burned them. And I'm not a book burner, don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But this was revival that no one led. God did it in the midst of a city. Paul didn't go, let's get rid of these things. The Holy Spirit convicted people in their hearts. And it changed the outcome of a city. Not a church, but a city. So we always just think in terms of a church. Dude, I'd love to see God do something in our church, but I'd rather see him do something in our city. Uh, Wouldn't you love the news to report that Denver experienced a revival? I mean, what would that... Is it even in our minds anymore that... And only God... Okay, so um, it's only 519. I ended way early. Yes or no, I ended way early. For me. For me. Now. I just want to give, can we just give the next 10 minutes to just worshiping the Lord and just allowing the Holy Spirit the time in our hearts and I will come back and dismiss you and you can go but I just felt like if you want to stand to your feet if you want to stay seated you can do that but the words to God of revival pour it out pour it out what a anthem that maybe that could become for us so let me just pray Father Our church welcomes the Holy Spirit. We're not ashamed. We're not embarrassed. We don't want the Holy Spirit in the back room. He's an equal and wanted part of the Trinity. God the Father, Jesus the Son, God the Spirit, 
we welcome you at Jubilee. Father, it's true, but I just say it out loud. God, we just want more of you. We want more of your activity. We want our children to really know who you are. We want the world at large to really know, God, the enemy's gotten to write the script for generations now. God, come and redeem. Father, in our hearts, we can't control then and there. We can only right now. God, we turn away from idols in our lives, God. Things that we fill it with, God, that they have no place in our lives, Father. Lord, we give you the right to to speak to our hearts about things, Lord. God, we can't coexist that we'll welcome the world and we'll welcome the Spirit of God. It's got to be one or the other. And for too long, the church has welcomed the world and turned from the Spirit of God. Father, dispossess this place again, Lord. Tear down the idols. Remove the bales, Father. God, we want to worship you and you alone, Father. So prepare our hearts, Lord. Draw us to you. Father, if you want to heal, heal. You want to speak, speak. You want to just renew and refresh. Renew and refresh your people. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.
feel like Amy uh, has a word that I'd like you to hear real quick. Um, I was just standing here and praying. And I felt like the Lord told me that we are to go back to him, to our original identity in what this country was and used to be, which was land of the free and home of the brave. And instead, I feel like so many of us are in bondage. And so many of us cower and hold back and we have forgotten who we are and we are called to be people that are free and brave so that people in this nation can truly see who God is. And so I am just going to claim that over us right now. Lord Jesus, you died on the cross for this very thing, for freedom and for bravery. And so I call down right now that you would 
bring us back to our original design so that we can operate out of your freedom, that we can operate out of bravery so that people will know who you are so that they will not live in, a, in a, an eternity of damnation, but live in an eternity of freedom and bravery for all that you have. Come and set us free. Everyone in this room, people watching online, those that have cowered back, enemy, we directly look at you and we say, we are no longer going to cower back. We will take this nation by force, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is inside of us. In your name, amen. You know, Second Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. I will hear from heaven. I'll answer their prayers and I will heal their land. Father, God, the prerequisite is to humble ourselves, to turn from and to turn to. God, would you help us? Would you pour your grace out on us? Lord, we always talk about your grace. We need your grace to turn from our way and to turn to your way, Lord. We need your grace, God. We need your grace, Lord. God, without your grace, it's impossible. Not by might and not by power, but by His Spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by His Spirit. God, it's only going to be possible by Your Spirit. Lord, pour out on Your people again. God, pour out on Your people again. I just feel in my heart, I just... I just want to worship a little bit longer. But I recognize too timelines and family commitments and things that are going on. So we just ask you to do this. If you need to go, could you just go quietly and just reverently for what the Lord is just doing right now? And if you want to stay for a little bit, then we'll worship. And we'll seek the Lord's face. Hmm. I just want to give you a chance to do that. If you need to go, go ahead. You can feel yourself dismissed. If you want to stay, just hold on. And we'll worship the Lord.
things and fill their hearts with the Holy Spirit. Help us be the revival and the surge of the Holy Spirit you want on this earth. I was impressed that there are people here who have been burned and all the most recent at least in my lifetime moves you had the Jesus revolution you had the charismatic movement you had the faith movement the word movement signs and wonders movement and some some were hurt some were burned some were abused but God didn't abuse you the Holy Spirit didn't abuse you God wants to restore your soft heart he wants to take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh that that's that heart that is molded molded by his love and his mercy and his grace and he's calling us back to that, to his heart. He's calling us back to his heart. He wants to pour that oil of anointing back on you and massage you back to life. So that all that he put within you can come and flourish and he can smile and sing over you. Not that he has stopped. He's never taken your eyes off, but he wants, he wants you to to flourish, to bloom, to prosper, to come alive again. Come alive. So open your heart right now to Him. Open your heart. Whatever that is, whatever comes to your mind right now, give that to Him. God, what do you want to do with that? What are you telling me about that? Just let him massage his healing oil into your heart. I know it's not a worship night, and um, so I just feel like an anointing for healing is here. And I just... I just feel stirred up in my spirit to pray for healing for people. And um, I dismissed with the knowledge that those who remain would need to hear <laughs> this part of it. And I just feel like the grace of the Lord, right? The reward for pressing in is to experience a little more of His presence, a little more of who He is. So Holy Spirit, we just wait on You for a second. You're our strength, our dignity, our hope, our help. Hmm. You know, as pastor, I hear stories of people who are dealing with things and sometimes I have a, you know, a knowledge about something, but I feel so inadequate at times. 
And the Lord just keeps reminding me, John, give me the supernatural. And you do, you walk in authority, but you give me the supernatural. It's his job to do the supernatural. So, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit, by his spirit. And if you need healing in your life, maybe you say, Pastor, I just doesn't seem to work I get it not by might not by power but by his spirit I just want to invite you um, to come down come here if you need prayer for healing we just want to pray for you and just believe the Lord faithfulness, O Lord, to all generations, to all generations, to all generations. Mm -hmm. Just make your way down to the front. Lord. Mm -hmm. And if you see somebody you know and you want to stand with them right now, or if you just feel led by the Lord to be a part of this, just come up behind somebody. You don't even have to touch them. Just stand. Stand with them. Father. Father, Father, Father. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace, Lord. The God who is more than enough. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who is faithful from generation to generation. Lord, we bless your name. Bless your name. The Spirit of the Lord was present to heal them. Present to heal them. Mm. Father, each man and each woman, each situation, you know, Lord, you know. And truly only you know, Lord. Only you know. Man, I want to speak to disappointment right now, to shame. I want to speak to bitterness, things that that the enemy loves to just mess with God's people over. I want to speak right now. Just turn from those things. Turn from them right now. Just let them go. And embrace who the Lord is and what the Lord is saying. Mercy and grace, mercy and grace, mercy and grace, church. Mercy and grace, church. Mercy and grace, church. Healing, Lord. Healing, Lord. Healing, Lord. God, restore minds. Mm. Restore hearts right now, Father. Restore bodies right now, Father. Mm. 
Restore years, Lord. Give back years, Father. Restore hope. You're the God of hope. Restore hope in your people, Lord. Hope in your people, Father. God, replace what the enemy has taken. What the canker worm comes and eats. Just takes and takes and takes. The Lord said He would rebuke the devourer. 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 So we stand on His authority right now. His life right now. He would rebuke the devourer. He would give back the years. He would give them back. He will give them back. He will give them back in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of our Jesus. He said He would give them back. Oh, the Lord rebuke the enemy right now. Father, where He goes, fill that space in our life right now, Lord. Not just with healing. Feel it, Father God, with who You are, Lord. With Your will and Your power, Father. With who You are, God. We speak to disease right now. Mm. Our God is more than enough. More than enough. The God who heals you. The God who covers you. The God who cares for you. Oh Lord God, you are more than enough. You are more than enough, God. You are more than enough. God, restore, Lord. Restore what the enemy, God, what he's eaten, what he's taken, what he's devoured. Restore, Lord. Restore, Lord. Give hope again, Father. Give hope again, Lord Jesus. Bring hope again, Lord. God we serve would be your God. Hope and life and health. The peace of God. The peace of God. The peace of God. The peace of God again. Lord, restore. The Bible says he restored the fortunes of Judah. May he bring back the goodness and the mercy of God the goodness and the mercy of the Lord the goodness and the mercy of the Lord Larry the goodness of the Lord the goodness of the Lord yeah thank you Lord Jesus thank you for atmosphere God where all things are possible All things are possible. With man, it's not, but with God it is. It is. 
God, restore. 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 It's just the word of the Lord. I know it. Just restore right now. Restore. Restore what's been stolen, Father. Restore what's been eaten, Father. What the devourer has eaten, Lord God. Lord, restore hope again. Restore health, Father. Restore, Lord. Restore. Restore. Mm. And I feel like I hear the Lord saying, you're faithful people. You're faithful people. He sees your faithfulness. It pleases the Father's heart. Lord, I bless you. I bless you. I bless your name, Lord. I bless your name. I bless you, mighty God. I bless you, precious King. I bless you. I bless you. I bless you. Lord, we bless you. Bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Sing that out. Sing it out. You don't leave us broken. You always restore. You don't leave us broken. You always restore. You don't leave us broken. You always restore. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, you don't leave us broken. You always restore. You don't leave us broken. You always restore. Thank you, Oh, you don't leave us broken. Thank you, Lord. You broken you always restore you don't leave us broken you always restore you don't leave us broken you always restore you always restore you always restore
Yes, Lord. feel like while I was praying and prayed this over people, I feel like this is what, forgive me for turning from it, I need the light. It says, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. It's the Lord talking. The great locust and the young locust and the other locust and the locust swarm, the great army that was sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be ashamed. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. So the Lord says He is the one who pays back. And I know recently in my prayer time I've been saying it just not announcing it, just saying it so that people hear me. The enemy cannot curse what the Lord has blessed. Yes. He cannot curse what the Lord has blessed. It's not like there's a battle, good against evil, big against little. It's not. He's God. And he gets the final word. And the final word is the word of blessing. It's the word of blessing. And the Lord is the one who said he will repay. So I want to pronounce the priest's job to pronounce the blessing of the Lord, the benediction upon the people of God. So Lord, you said you would repay. I don't even know how we would measure that. Because you are God. And there is no other. God, we turn our hearts from other things, Lord, that shallowly try to satisfy us, Lord. Lord, we turn to the deep things, Lord. Deep calls to deep. So we turn to you, Father. And you said you would repay. Repay for the things, Lord, that are missing, that have been eaten slowly, surely, over the long haul, but they're missing. Lord, you said you would repay. And so, Father, I just stand on that right now for your people. Lord, whatever it is, if it's been worry, you said you would repay. And if it's been fear, you said you would repay. If it's been hope, 
you said you would repay. Whatever the enemy has eaten, God. So Lord, turn your face towards your people. With your right hand, Lord, restore the fortunes of Judah. Restore. So that the wine overflows and the oil can't be contained. Hmm. When the sower catches up with the reaper so that you can't get it out of the ground faster than it's going in. Not an earthly blessing, a worldly blessing, a natural blessing, something that can be contained. But the Lord said He would bless us in a way that it can't be contained. So Lord, may we be vessels that overflow with Your goodness right now, Father. Overflow with healing. Overflow with hope. Overflow with peace. People of restoration. God, pour your grace out in this day as never before so that, Lord, we can operate with your strength and your power, Lord. Just thank you, Father. Thank you for hunger. Thank you that you leave us with hope. Thank you, Lord, for the healing that people are experiencing right now. Church, I believe we need to praise the Lord for the healing that He is doing. So now, yes, but also in your own life. I believe that part of what the Lord wants to do is for us to give testimony to other people about what God is doing in our lives. When you're home this weekend, you see where the Lord is moving and you see how the Lord is restoring. I want you to let me know because I feel like we need to find a way to let people in our church know what God is doing today, how God is moving today. It's encouraging when I say we prayed for someone who was in a coma and they came out of it, but how much more to hear person after person just talk about God did this, God's doing that, and to create a hunger for people to experience God, to experience His goodness. Church, we just say yes to the Lord. Yes to the Lord. Yes to His mercy and yes to His goodness. And I bless you in the name of Jesus. Mm. Amen. 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 Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Mm. Mm. Hmm. No. Well, I'm just. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen, Jesus. Amen, Jesus. Amen, Jesus. Amen, Jesus. Amen, Lord Jesus.
God is good. That's good. You have anything else in your heart right now? You have the song you want to sing? You have something else? Just, just sing something. You can end with that. Let's just worship the Lord for a minute. I just feel like I just want to worship.
Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for all you're doing right here. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. You always restore. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. You always restore. But Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. You're worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. You are worthy of it all. Let's pour it on him. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. Sing it out, sing it out. You are worthy of it all. Oh, you are worthy of it all. My King, my King Jesus. For from you are all things. And to you are all things. Oh, you deserve the glory. with you are worthy worthy of it all 
your people in this place You are worthy of it all For from you are all things And to you are all things You deserve the glory 